Pastor Blaine said, at the end of the message, I'm gonna lead us towards communion. So just hang on to your elements. And if you're watching online and you have your elements at home, just know we haven't forgotten. We're just gonna shift the order of things this evening a little bit. Let me say one other thing, as Pastor Blaine mentioned, our nominations. Um, Oftentimes when we talk about church leadership and nominating people to be elder or part of our ops board or finance committee, whatever those positions may be, there is a unspoken thought that happens on our mind is that you have to be here or part of our church for a particular amount of time. Now you do need to be a member of our congregation, but there's no tenure to serve in leadership. You hear me on that? Uh, I mean, if you can have a new pastor come in following a pastor that's been here for 36 years and take over, serve as lead pastor, then I think you can have people serve as elders and ops board without having to be here an amount of time. So if you're fairly new to our congregation, I just want you to know um, to whether that is to serve in that capacity or in children, students, anything like that, there's no tenure. If you're a part of our fellowship and family, we want you to use the gifts that God has given you uh, for this local congregation, which is a great segue for me to encourage you, um, make sure that you're here next weekend. Um, I know you're here today. Uh, we'll have Saturday night service as normal and then for three on Sunday morning. But you may be watching online and you've watched from a distance. Uh, I'm not gonna go into it this evening, but there's a, a message that has really been burning in my heart. And it's, it's for those that have been a part of this congregation for a long time, but it's also part uh, for, them, for folks that have been joining our church or part of our church here in more recent uh, recent days or recent years, and we've had a lot of that. And so I'm calling it kind of a congregational challenge, if you will, but I'm gonna talk about what it means to be a functioning part of the body of Christ, specifically a local congregation. So I hope you join with us next week. But before that, we're gonna wrap up our series called Without a King, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. And I'm sure many of you are like, man, this is a pretty depressing <laughs> Look, it's summer, like can we get to something a little more energetic? Well, I believe today is a hopeful message. While Samson, his story is pretty rough, and I was thinking about that today too. I mean, I grew up, my dad was a pastor in church and I've talked about flannel grams before and growing up in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And I always remember us, you know, really almost glamorizing Samson. How many of you I'm talking about? Like great warrior, strong, had long hair, built, you know, looked just like a model, kind of like me and everybody. And, you know, we teach our kids about Samson and then I'm reading and I'm studying. I'm going, man, Samson's not a really good dude. Like we, we bypass a lot, of, a lot of Samson's story. And the fact is that uh, Samson started off great, um, but he made a lot of mistakes. And so we're gonna look at that today. And remember that as last week when we talked about Jephthah, the Bible says that when Israel did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord, in fact, we're gonna look at that again. Once again, you've seen this over and over again and Samson's story doesn't start any different than other ones have. Judges 13, where the story of Samson begins, the Bible says Israel did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, if you were here last week or you watched that message when we talked about Jephthah, Remember, Jephthah was east of the Jordan. 
and he was fighting the Ammonites, remember that? And it's happening at the same time while Samson is fighting the Philistines in the West. So last week's message on Jephthah and the enemy, the Ammonites, and this week, Samson and the Philistines are both happening at the same time, just different parts in Israel. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read um, our text for the day, and I'm gonna fast forward to sort of the end of Samson's story. Have any of you, like, when you watch a movie, and the movie starts and it kind of tells you the end of the movie first and then it backs up to give you the whole story. Well, if you can imagine that, that's what we're gonna do um, here this evening. So if you have your Bibles and want to open them with me, if not, you can follow along on the screen. We're gonna look at Judges chapter 16 and this is the end of Samson's story. And I'm gonna start at verse 23 and be patient because all of this is significant. I'm gonna read several verses, verses 23 all the way up through the end of verse 31. The word of the Lord for us tonight is this. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So they bring Samson out from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant, servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the, peop and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had done during his entire lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, which is truth. We've spent a lot of time going through this book called Judges, a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And for us, it can be discouraging because we see your people over and over failing and walking away from you and having all other idols and objects and things that are king of their life over than you, other than you. And the fact is that that's really our story. We often do the same thing. But Lord, I pray that what we are going to see in Samson, Lord, with all the bad, we are gonna see your grace today. We are gonna see hope and light. And I pray that, Lord, for those that may feel like a Samson this evening, those that may feel like a Samson who are watching online, 
Lord, that you would speak your truth to them, that they would know your grace. They would know the vastness of your love in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, mentioned, Samson is a pretty intriguing person in the Bible. I mean, he starts out hot. He starts out on the right path. He's an incredibly gifted man. He has a lot of strength. He has a lot of gifts. But as we quickly discover, he lacks character. Now, I could take a lot of time, and we don't have time this evening to go through the entirety of Samson's story. Many of you here, you know Samson's story. But there are probably some that don't, or there may be some details that you have forgotten. And so I want to go through that. And Samson's story is found in three chapters, Judges 13 through 16. And so it begins by telling the story of Samson's birth. Samson's dad's name was Manoah. Doesn't give us his wife's name, but it says that Manoah and his wife can't have children. But the angel of the Lord appears to his wife. And as we have seen elsewhere in scripture, the angel of the Lord says, you're gonna have a child. And God just brings them a miracle. Now Manoah finds out about this and he prays and he's like, angel of the Lord, you came to my wife, but can you give me some more details? And sure enough, God answers and the angel of the Lord comes to Manoah. And it says, he says to Manoah and his wife that their child is going to be dedicated or should be dedicated as a Nazarite. God is raising up Samson. He's raising up a person, a man, a judge to deliver Israel. Now, to, get, to let you know more about what it means to be a Nazarite or dedicated as a Nazarite, we're not gonna turn there, but you can read later if you go to the sixth chapter of Numbers. The sixth chapter of Numbers. You can read through there and it talks about the requirements when someone was going to be dedicated or to live their life as a, taking a vow as a Nazarite, there are certain things that they could and could not do. And so this is Samson's story. And so the angel of the Lord says that he should be raised as a Nazarite. Now here are some of those things. One, the obvious one that we know of is Nazarites are not supposed to cut their hair. Okay, so that's why Samson ended up having long hair. But there's some other things. A Nazarite, someone who took the vow, is not to drink any alcohol. But even above all that, God says to Moses in Numbers chapter 6 that anyone who takes a Nazarite vow, and this would have been the case for Samson, they're not even supposed to drink grape juice. So it's not just wine, it's no grape juice, no grapes, no raisins, no raisinettes even. Nothing that touches a vine you are to eat or drink. Once more, Nazarites aren't supposed to go towards anything that is dead. In an interesting verse, it says even if your, your family member, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister dies, you're not supposed to be close to them, a dead body. I mean, that's pretty harsh, but that's what the word of God says. The Nazarites are supposed to be set apart. You're not supposed to touch anything that is unclean. You get the picture? The Nazarites are separated and living a life holy unto God. So that is the life that Samson is coming into. So miracle happens, Samson is born. And I mean, he is born really into a home of privilege. I mean, he has both mom and dad are there. They're godly people. He has everything going for him. Godly parents, a strong upbringing. In verse 24 in chapter 13, it says that the Lord blessed him as he grew up. In fact, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord was stirring in him. He was headed towards the right path. 
But everything changes once you get to chapter 14, where all of a sudden the Bible starts talking about Samson going south. Samson geographically starts visiting towns that were south of where he lived. lived. Towns like Timnah, Ashkelon, there was a cave that was south, Gaza was south, and even a valley of Solik. We're gonna hit some of these here in a little bit. And so while Samson is heading south geographically, with each trip, he also is heading south spiritually. So the first story or trip that we see of Samson heading south is he goes to this town of Timnah. And the Bible says that there's this Philistine woman that catches his eye. And he comes back and he tells his mom and dad, that's the woman I want, this Philistine woman. Now we understand, or hopefully you do, that as Christ followers, the Bible talks about not being, or being not unequally yoked, okay? And that's godly parents are talking to Samson. They're like, you couldn't find anybody in all of Israel? You picked a Philistine woman. And I love this. Samson pretty much says to his dad, go and get her for me. She looks good to me. Now, having a 19-year-old son, if my son spoke to me that way, we'd have some words. But the Bible doesn't tell us what his mom and dad says. That's all we hear. Samson says, get her. She looks good to me. The next thing we see is that the family now is heading south to meet this woman that Samson is attracted to. And on the way down, the Bible says that Samson goes near a vineyard. Now, what did I just tell you? The Nazarites were not supposed to be near. He shouldn't have been anywhere near a vineyard. But the Bible says that he's near a vineyard. Now, it doesn't say that his mom and dad are with him there, but somehow Samson is going somewhere close to where he shouldn't be. And then a lion attacks him. Now, it's interesting to think that it could be God sent the lion. How many of you know sometimes you go somewhere where you shouldn't be and God intervenes? You may not have wanted a lion, but it was God's way of saying you shouldn't be here. Well, the lion shows up and being the strong man that Samson is, the Bible says he rips the jawbone apart with the lion and destroys the lion. So he doesn't tell his mom and dad about all of this and they meet with the family and then they go home and now they're coming back. So this, this wedding seems like it's going to happen in Timnah. And on the journey back to this Timnah area where he killed the lion, once again we see Samson going by a vineyard where he shouldn't be. Well, now he sees the lion that he killed earlier. Now another part, he shouldn't have been near a vineyard, a Nazarite vow is he shouldn't have been anything near anything that was dead. Remember that? But now he's going back towards the lion that he killed that is dead. And in that, he sees that there are some bees that have left some really good honey. Now, why you look, are looking for honey in the carcass of a dead lion? I don't know. But he grabs the honey, he eats some, and then he brings it to his mom and dad. And so now he gets back, they're getting ready for the wedding and Samson throws a party. And while at this party, he decides to have a little sport. The Bible says there's about 30 Philistine guys there and he gives these Philistine guys a riddle. And he's like, if you can solve this riddle, um, I'll give you 30 outfits. But if you can't solve it, you've got to give me 30 outfits. And the riddle is really about this lion. I'm not going to get into it. But basically they can't solve the riddle. And so what do they do? Well, they start nagging Samson's fiance, who knew the answer to the riddle, and she sells him out. Now, that's a problem right there. 
Before you get married, if your fiance sells you out, that should be a red flag. I mean, our Christian counseling should pick that up. But she sells him out and Samson is ticked off. And in one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, the Bible says this. Samson says to these guys, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved the riddle. Don't, don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. You can look it up later. Now, let me tell you something. I've been married for 25 years next summer. If you refer to your fiance as a heifer, you probably are not ready to be married. And all the ladies said, amen. But that's what Samson says. So he's ticked off and he goes and he kills 30 men, steals their garments to pay off his debt. Now, I'm saying all this to give you the story and to paint the picture of what kind of guy Samson is. Remember, a man that was set apart to be a holy Nazarite. So he's angry with the betrayal that his fiance did and Samson to cool off, he goes back home and he pouts and he lives with his parents. Not knowing that while he's living with his parents, his future father-in-law gives his daughter's hand in marriage to his best man. So that leads us to Judges chapter 15. I mean, the story just continues. So Samson finally returns to Timnah to marry his fiance only to find out that she's married to someone else. And now he's really ticked off. So what does Samson do? He takes vengeance upon the Philistines. Not just vengeance in any other way. The Bible says that he catches 300 foxes. I mean, you have to give it to Samson. He's pretty creative. He takes 300 foxes and he ties in pairs their tails together and puts a torch in it and then sends them loose. And these foxes go throughout all of the fields, all of the vineyards of the Philistine, and it destroys their property and destroys their crops. Now the Philistines are pretty ticked off. So what do they do? Rather than going after Samson, they go after the father and what would have been his fiance and they murder him. So now the enemy, the Philistines, have murdered the love of his life, even though he was upset because she betrayed him. And he goes and he kills more Philistines. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. And then the Bible says that the Philistines finally go, we've had it with Samson. We are really going to hurt him. We're going to attack his family, the Israelites. So the Philistines go and attack the Israelites. And the Israelites are like, what's up? We know we're enemies, but we have been cool. We've been at peace. And now you're coming after us. And they basically say, we're coming after you because we want Samson. So Israel is paying the price for Samson being hot-headed. So Israel sends 3,000 men to capture Samson. 3,000 men to capture one man. So they come up to Samson and they say, hey, we're done with this. We're turning you over to the Philistines. And so Samson says, hey, as long as you don't kill me, I'll agree. So they bind him in rope. They say, we're not gonna kill you. They bind him in rope and they hand him over to the Philistines. Well, not knowing that Samson's pretty strong, when the Philistines have him, Samson breaks the rope and he kills a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone. Now, once again, Samson should not have been touching anything that is dead. But he picks up a jawbone from a donkey and he destroys a thousand Philistine men. Now, side note, Samson's exhausted after all this killing and he's thirsty and he prays to God for water. 
And in the midst of all this, God answers his prayer and water comes gushing out. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So now here we are finally, chapter 16. And it again begins with Samson heading south. And two quick stories that finish Samson's journey. Samson goes south again to the city of Gaza and he spends the night with a prostitute. Samson has a lust problem. Seriously. So the Philistines find out where Samson is and they try to get him, but he outsmarts him and he leaves in the middle of the night. And the Bible says that he picks up the two gates at the front of the town with the poles and he carries them back to Hebron. And now we come to the all too familiar story of a woman named Delilah. We all know Delilah, a woman who found out the secret to Samson's strength and then sold him out to his own people, the Philistines. So it was Delilah who, when she learned this, that Samson's hair is what gave him, gave him his strength, she calls the Philistine rulers and says, hey, I'm gonna shave his head, you can come and you get him. And sure enough, that's what happens. In the middle of the night while he's sleeping, Delilah shaves his head and she calls on the Philistine rulers and then she plays dumb when the Philistines come. And Samson, the Bible says, thinking that he would have as many, he had done this many times before, he says, I've got this. Although Samson did not realize a very significant thing and it's this. The Bible says that the Lord had left him. Isn't that the case where you start strong? It's often you see people who are filled with the spirit of God. They're equipped with God. And all of a sudden they start sinning and sinning and sinning and you don't even realize, they don't even realize that God has left them. And that's exactly what had happened with Samson. So he's finally captured by his enemies and the Bible says that his eyes were gouged out and he was taken to the town of Gaza. He was bound with chains and he was forced to grind grain in prison like an animal. A man who started out Without, with all of the potential in the world, he had godly parents, he had a unique calling, he was gifted by God, a man with great destiny and purpose. Now he is blind, he is broken, and he is alone, and he is in a prison. Last week we said, and we learned that the God of the Ammonites was Molech. Well, the God of the Philistines, the God that they chose, was a God named Dagon. Now, if you can imagine a mermaid, if you will, Dagon was a fish god, and it would be like a male version of a mermaid, half man, half fish underneath, and that was the image of Dagon. And in our text that I read at the very beginning of this message, we saw that there was a great festival being thrown by the Philistines. It was a sold out arena, it was a packed house. There were 3,000 men and women worshiping and making sacrifices to this fish god named Dagon. The Bible says, what we just read, is that Samson was brought out as a symbol of victory. But the symbol of victory was not just the Philistines conquering Samson. The symbol of this victory and what they were celebrating in this packed arena was Dagon's victory, Dagon's victory over Israel's God, Jehovah. 
And it's interesting that we read that Samson was led by a young servant, probably a young boy. I mean, think about it. What humiliation, what shame Samson must have had. The thoughts that would have been going through his mind in that moment. The once man that was strong that could have killed a, that killed a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone that could rip apart a lion now is being led out to be mocked by a small child. And he can't see a thing. And he's doing the work of an animal in prison. And people are laughing and poking fun. What humiliation. What's the point of all this? It was in that moment of humiliation. It was in that moment of despair. It was in that moment of need that Samson does this. Samson prays to the Lord. And he says, sovereign Lord, remember me again. And oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. Donna, leave this up for a minute. This prayer is significant for several reasons. The choice of words in Samson's prayer are so telling. First of all, this is only the second time in scripture that we see Samson pray. Anybody remember the first? I mentioned it. Water. He prayed for water after he killed a thousand Philistines. This is only the second time we see Samson pray. But the prayer is different this time than it was when he was exhausted and thirsty after killing a thousand Philistines. How's it different? You can look at it later, but if you go back in your Bible, when he calls upon God's name the first time, he uses Elohim. Elohim is used about 2,300 times in the Bible. It's a proper name. It's God's common name. But here, where he says sovereign Lord in the Hebrew, there he uses the name of God, Adonai. And Adonai, translated Lord, is only used 400 times in the Bible. What's the big difference? What's the significance of the difference between the two? Adonai... The word for Lord he uses here emphasizes the Lord's absolute authority. So here, this time, it's not just a simple cry out of exhaustion or thirst. Oh God, I'm thirsty. Can you provide for me? And God does. Here it was, Lord, you are my ruler and I submit to you wholly and fully. I need you in this moment. It's interesting. I got an email this week, I won't tell you it's from it too. It's a longtime member of ACAC. And she was sharing with me some of her frustration of reading through the book of Judges. She said, I just am tired. It's like every week we hear Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and it's like over and over, why don't they see it? It just seems like all they do is cry out to God. They, sure, they repent to him, but they're really repenting so that their pain is eased. They're not repenting because they want to be allegiant to God. How many understand that? Here we see Samson's prayer take a change. Where his first prayer for water was that, Lord, I'm thirsty. I need water. Here, sovereign Lord, it's an acknowledgement that I submit my will unto you. Another fascinating thing about Samson's prayer is that here, maybe for the first time, we see Samson truly demonstrating faith. Not a reliance on his own ability or his methods 
of the culture around him, but finally a recognition that it is God who empowers and strengthened him. Before, he leaned on his own strength. He was a hot-headed man who just grabbed a donkey jawbone or responded instantly. But here, he's saying, God, I recognize that you are the one that strengthens me. I need your strength to empower me. And God acknowledges him. He prays, remember me and strengthen me. And God answers him. He answers his prayer. The Bible says that Samson killed more in that moment in his death than he had done in his life. And he'd killed a lot of people in his life. So here is the, what I believe was one of the most significant messages and a point for us in this story of Samson. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, grace is only one prayer away. No matter where you are, no matter how far you have run, no matter your past, no matter the sin, no matter the mistakes, you are only one prayer away from the grace of God. See, the story of Samson is really the story of Israel. Like Samson, God called and chose and raised up a people who were to live in a way that represented him to the world around them. God wanted the people of Israel to represent who God was in the culture around them. But like Israel, like Samson, they ended up reflecting the culture of the world more than God's kingdom. And what's significant, while we may get frustrated with Samson, while we may get frustrated with the people of Israel, the story of Israel is also our story. God has called us. He has chosen us. He has set us apart to serve him and to do powerful things in his strength. We are to show the world what Jesus is like by how we live and how we talk. But too often, as we talked about last week, we are more influenced by the world than by God. And we end up in rebellion and we end up in idolatry. And while Samson and the book of Judges can seem dark and it can seem hopeless, it's actually a book that ends with light and ends with hope. You see, Judges and the story of Samson raises the question, how far can a person go before God will not deal with them anymore? How far can you go before God will say, I've had enough? Is it Gideon? Is it the person who steals glory from God? Is it Jephthah, the one who murders? Even their own child, the abuser? Slaughters 42,000 of their own tribe? Is it Samson, someone who lusts, sleeps with prostitutes, is hot-headed and angry? How far can you go? How far can you go before God will say, I'm done and I've had enough with you? Here's the thing. Nobody knows the answer to that question because nobody has ever gone far enough to find out. (laughs) Did you catch that? Nobody knows the answer because nobody has ever gone so far from God that he wouldn't receive them back. 
I've mentioned it several times, Hebrews 11, we call the hall of fame of faith. Let me show you this. The writer of Hebrews asked the question, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, the adulterer David, Samuel, the one who the spirit left and tried to kill David and all the prophets. He continues, by faith, the writer says, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness, the Bible says, was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. You're telling me that Gideon, you're telling me that Samson, you're telling me that Jephthah, you're telling me that David, you're telling me that after all that they did, the Bible is holding them up as great men of faith? How many wrestle with that? I do. I wrestle. Why do we wrestle with that? We wrestle with it because we think it's our strength. And the point is that it's in their weakness. It's in God's strength, not our strength. Jesus was dying on the cross. He had two criminals beside him. One criminal is mocking and says, you're the son of God. Why don't you send your angels? Save us. And the other criminal, we don't know what they've done. They're, at, they're on their deathbed. And he turns to the other criminal and says, don't you fear God even in this moment? We're guilty, but he's not. And he turns to Jesus and he says the same thing Samson says, Jesus, remember me. And what were Jesus's words to him? You'll be with me in paradise. I mean, let's be honest. We struggle with deathbed salvations. Why? Because we strive and we lean so hard into our own strength and we don't think it's fair. And God's saying, just call on my name. You cannot run too far from me. How far can you go before God finally washes his hands and say, get away? Paul writes, I'm going to close with this. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God, God's love. No power in the sky above or in earth, in earth or below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing you could do to ever separate yourself from the love of God. And if you're not familiar with who wrote that, his first name was Saul and he killed Christians, killed Christians. And God visits him and changes his name. That's why those words are so powerful to Paul because he lived it out saying me, a killer, God's grace reached me as well. So my question is, where are you at right now? Are you living under the guilt of shame, thinking that you have gone too far? Look, I know many of you in this room, you've served Christ a long time. 
But there's some, I believe, you're carrying the weight of shame and you're going, I've done far too much. You may be watching online and you're watching online because you won't step into this place because of the guilt and shame you think God's gonna put on you. And you need to know that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the enemy. There is nothing you can do. We have seen through judges. We have seen those who take credit, God's credit. We have seen those who murder. We have seen those who lust and have affairs. We have seen imperfect people God has saved and given grace to. And you're no different from them. God desires to use you and extend grace and faith to you. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all wickedness. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, grace is only one prayer away. I'm gonna ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads. We're gonna head to communion, but before we do, I wanna give you an opportunity Again, maybe somebody who's here that feels far from God, you feel like a Samson, you feel like a Jephthah. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do as a symbol to that, if that's how you feel and you would like to pray the prayer of the criminal on the cross or the prayer of Samson and just say, God, remember me. Lord, Adonai, sovereign Lord, my King, would you remember me? The Bible says that Samson extended two hands towards the pillars. I'm just gonna ask as a sign of surrender that you would do something similar and lift up your two hands right now in this moment as a symbol and as a sign to God. And we're gonna pray that his grace comes and that he answers your prayer just as he did Samson, just as he did the criminal on the cross. Father, you see these hands raised. Lord, you see those that maybe are watching in their car or at home online. And Father, they feel far from you. Lord, we don't know what they've done. They do, and the enemy has beat up their mind with guilt and shame. And I pray that right now in this moment, you would cleanse their thoughts. I pray that the love and the grace of God, Lord, would fill their heart and mind. Lord, kindness and goodness and mercy. Lord, shower them with your grace right now. Let them know that they are yours. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'm gonna ask that you take your communion cup. If you need an element, the ushers, Gwen and Pastor Marvin are here to the side. Just wave your hand if you need them. Wave, wave it at them. I don't know if there's a better transition that we could do than go to the Lord's table. As we remember, we have grace because of what Christ did his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. As you're preparing those, I asked Josh to play this. Let's set our hearts upon him and let's sing this chorus and worship together. Sing this with me. I love you, Lord, your mercy. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, 
I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on, just sing it to him. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been faithful. All my life. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. And I will sing of the mercy of God. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you break the bread and partake? Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. It is an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. Let's partake of the cup. When you're done, would you stand? Stand with me tonight. All my life you have been faithful. All my life. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. So Lord, as we begin to close our service this evening, I'm thinking of tomorrow. I'm thinking of people who are deciding right now whether or not they're gonna come to church. Lord, I believe there are some that are making that decision because they're filled with guilt and shame. So Lord, whatever it is you have to do, If you have to bring a lion across their path today, I ask that you would do it. Lord, let this house be filled tomorrow with people who need to hear the grace and the goodness of God. Would you bring the Samsons into this place tomorrow? Would you bring the Jephthahs? Would you bring the Gideons? Would you bring the Samuels? Would you bring the Davids? Would you bring the Allens, the Marks, the Blaines, the Marys, the Beckys? Lord, it is your kindness and your goodness that leads us to you. Thank you for your sweet time and your presence today. Bless this congregation. Bless those here as they leave. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.